Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, Senior Tech Editor at The Verge. And you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech. It could be anything at all. Like, Kara, what are we going to name our cryptocurrency when we, uh, you know, start to start something to finance the future of this show? Caracoin. Caracoin. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You don't, I, I like good, bit good. No, good bit. Good bit might be good. That's nice. That's good too. Good Ethereum. No. So send us your questions. Find us on Twitter or tweet them to at Recoder to myself or to Lauren with the hashtag too embarrassed. We also have an email address. It's too embarrassed at recode.net. And a friendly reminder, there are two R's and two S's in embarrassed. There's been a lot of interest in Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency. And so we, a lot of people have a lot of questions and don't know about it. They're very interested in learning a lot more about it. There's a lot of crazy people involved. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of all kinds of stuff. And so we wanted to bring in someone to get some answers. So today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, we're delighted to have Adam Ludwin in the studio. He's the CEO of Chain, of course, that's the name, a private blockchain company. And he's going to explain what that means. I guess that means chain is taken. We can't do like Kara Chain. No, we're not going like to do that. that. We could, but yeah, we're going to be answering all of your questions about blockchain, cryptocurrencies, ICOs that we've been hearing a lot about lately. I'm not quite sure I fully understand. And unsurprisingly, you sent in a lot of questions. So we're very happy to have Adam here. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. So let's just explain what Chain does, and then we'll get into the basics of Bitcoin. I, I, nothing is too stupid for us. Let's just keep that in mind. When you're, you know what I mean? And I think most people are are confused by all the variety of things. It's probably like the beginning of the internet, which sort of sorted itself out. So what does Chain do? And then we have lots of different questions. Sure. So Chain helps financial institutions take advantage of this new technology, basically to do two things. One, to transform... Uh, their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you can think of a blockchain as kind of like a new type of database. Right. And it's helpful even if you're just tracking existing financial instruments like securities or loyalty points. Uh, but many financial institutions are also looking ahead at connecting into these public networks like these cryptocurrency networks that you mentioned at the top of the show, which we can talk more about. So we also help them to connect into and we hope over time bring the assets that they're dealing with uh, onto these new rails. Onto the new rails. Um, all right. So you and how did you get started in that? What was the you were you were a lot of places you were at R. So you were a venture capitalist. That's essentially. right. I was a I consultant. Was, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of jobs. I actually don't recommend many people. Try okay. To do. Um, how, how but I enjoy blockchain. Um, so I was uh, working as a VC, and I was working at a fintech-oriented VC firm called RRE in New York City. Right. I was working for the former CEO of American Express, Jim Robinson, and because of that, uh, even though my job was kind of to do the non-fintech stuff, friends would always send me fintech ideas. And I had a friend send me the Bitcoin white paper in 2011 and, say, and basically say, what do you think of this startup? And of course, uh, I quickly learned Bitcoin wasn't a startup. Right. Uh, but I was completely captivated by what I was reading. Why? Simply because all the fintech that I was looking at and investing in at RRE, companies like um, uh, Venmo and Square and Stripe, mm-hmm. these were companies that were sitting at the top of the existing financial stack, the mm-hmm. stack being governments, right. central banks, regular commercial banks, compliance. credit card networks, yeah. all the compliance systems. This big fat stack that equals financial services. And fintech, uh, including t- today, when you think fintech, you're really talking about these thin layers 
of user and interface apps, yeah. and apps that make it easier to use. Yeah. Bitcoin was like a huge red reset button that said, that stack isn't relevant anymore. We already have the internet. Mm -hmm. What's the least we can add to the internet right. to get to, back to money? And the mm -hmm. answer was a few thousand lines of code, right. basically. And, and that was conceptually very exciting. It also struck me that it would take a very long time if this thing ever became a meaningful part of the economy and the way financial services would work, it would take a very long time to, to get there. Nonetheless, I started meeting entrepreneurs, meeting the startups that were trying to do something with Bitcoin, um, and it led me down the rabbit hole. Eventually, I decided I need to spend all my time on this. Ari very graciously gave me a little bit of seed capital to get me started, and, uh, and, and that's when Chain... Uh, got off the and ground. you focused on financial firms because it was the lowest hanging fruit, presumably. Yeah, our original business plan was let's make it easy to build with blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. And we started with developers. We kind of then graduated into larger enterprises. Mm -hmm. um, and even to this day, the entire crypto and blockchain space, I think, is still characterized best as a frontier technology. It's sort of, sort of like VR and AI and robots and drones. Mm -hmm. There is definitely some clear value that people have identified but generally, it's still largely exploratory, and um, and that's what's exciting about it. But can also be frustrating if you're an entrepreneur in the space. Uh, it's nothing like building an iPhone app, for example. Right, right, and it's it, hmm. it, go ahead, Lauren. That was actually going to be my next question, and I want to get to Bitcoin more. But um, one question I've been too embarrassed to ask is when you start to consult with companies and tell them, "Here's your here's your blockchain strategy, and here's what you need." Does that does that actually translate into them? hiring a bunch of people who are expert or knowledgeable in this area and then they they sit in cubes all day and they maintain their database for this company like how does that actually work yeah so uh the question we often get the in the very first meeting with a traditional financial company is um you know hey we'd love to do something with blockchain can you help us and then i'll usually say well what's your problem exactly that you're trying to solve and there's often not a good answer to that very simple follow-up question because, like so many other buzzwords, you know, large institutions, uh, executives, they hear about a buzzword and they say, well, we've got to do something in this area. Right. Um, so uh, at the same time, there are meaningful use cases and opportunities that we've found and are pursuing. But um, a, a, lot of, a lot of the activity is just that activity without really substantial impact. Um, right. And so what so, is what is blockchain really? What is it? I mean, explain. Do it if you had to the the, the simple elevator pitch. Sure. So I, I'm gonna the I'm gonna answer the question. Very good. I'm gonna answer the question, but then I'm gonna uh, answer a slightly different one, which is what is cryptocurrency? If that's right. okay, yes, they're related. Because I just yeah. was at, at an event where someone said blockchain is gold, but not as dumb. Interesting. So yeah. I'll build on that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so, I think it's true. So the to me, blockchain is. Two very different things. On the one hand, it's a very simple technical answer. It's just a new type of data structure. Mm -hmm. So it's a different type of database models. Uh, just a way to store data, actually. Data, right. okay, um, that's one extreme, and that's true. At the other extreme, in a much more conceptual sense, it is a new internet counterculture. Uh, it's both of those things. Right. Um, and collectively, all the activity that you see around the blockchain space is a sort of decentralized movement to sort of challenge the status quo in both Silicon Valley, the sort of fang stocks, as well as Wall Street. 
Um, and yet it's just a new type of database. So what? So so I think neither of those answers actually are very well, instructive. Well, the database, it doesn't need gatekeepers. When implemented in a, in a, in a decentralized fashion, like a cryptocurrency, it's exactly that. It's a, a database that's updated without a central authority making those updates. Um, Does it have to be digital? Is it... I mean, can it exist in an analog form or, or actually Adrian Jeffries from The Verge just wrote a really good piece about blockchain that I encourage everyone to go read. But that was one of the things that was brought up. Like, does it have to be digital? That's interesting. You know, there's a, if, if you, if your listeners Google Bitcoin mining by hand or on paper, there was someone who actually mined a Bitcoin block, did all the mathematical hashing functions, right. pencil and paper. Just, so maybe there is something to that. Let, let me let me define cryptocurrency because I think that is the central question. I think people are still trying to wrap their minds around what is Bitcoin, what is Ethereum, what is Filecoin, what are all these ICOs. And I think the best way to understand cryptocurrency is that it's a new asset class, and like every other asset class, it doesn't exist for its own self. It's serving some other form of organization. You think of equities as an asset class; they support companies. You think of bonds, government bonds; they support government borrowing. You think of real estate supporting property owners. So, cryptocurrencies are are no different. They're enabling some higher form of organization, and what that is is called basically decentralized software or decentralized applications. So, cryptocurrencies. Enable decentralized applications. That's sort of it. Right. And decentralized applications are a new idea. And mm-hmm. Bitcoin was the first decentralized application. It was a decentralized application for payments. Right. It was a way to say, look at something like PayPal and replace the company with a protocol and a network. Right. It's for payments. And Ether- give it value. That's right. Um, Ethereum, uh, it's a little bit more meta because it's a decentralized application for creating decentralized applications. So you sort of have to think of Ethereum like a tree. And if you really want to get at what it's for, you got to look at the fruit and, and, and sort of ask, okay, well, do I think this decentralized application, whether it's a voting system or a prediction market, is useful and interesting? There's another one called Filecoin, mm-hmm. another cryptocurrency where uh, it's a decentralized application for file storage. So similar to Bitcoin looking at PayPal and saying, let's decentralize this. Filecoin looks at something like Dropbox or a cloud storage service and and asks the question, do we really need a centralized application and a company around that application to manage file storage when we have the internet and these protocols and an economic uh, token that we can use to incent people to organize in this new way? So that cryptocurrencies are really about enabling this new software model. and, uh, And I think the open question for everyone is, in which circumstances are these decentralized software models, which, by the way, are a lot less efficient, yes. a lot harder to use, take a uh, lot more energy, take a lot more energy? There's a lot of downsides to them. Slower. So slower. So, in what situations are they better, and on what dimensions are they really differentiated from a centralized what product? And the centralized product, like you could get it, you could transfer money in seconds, and these takes what minutes. It's it's just hard to argue that for everyone, Bitcoin is better than Visa or Filecoin right. is better than Dropbox or Ethereum is better than Amazon Web Services. The you know what I I've identified is sort of like one attribute that cuts across all decentralized services that centralized services just don't have, don't even aspire to have, is censorship resistance. Basically, this right. ability for me to send anyone in the world Bitcoin, right, and really nobody can stop 
Which is why criminals and the porn people love it. Like, and at the same time, other people who don't like all the gatekeepers love it too. Yeah. So explain Ripple then, because they're saying Ripple could be the next Bitcoin. What is explain what it is and um, sure. So there are there are two uh, technologies that are uh, called Ripple and Stellar. Mm -hmm. Similar models, actually founded right. by the same person. And uh, Ripple and Stellar have a a different model than Bitcoin. The primary, the best way I could explain this is. If you go look at the Bitcoin network, and you can do this, you can go to, there's a website called blockchain.info, and you can mm -hmm. just sit there and watch Bitcoin transactions streaming through. Mm -hmm. And what you'll see is it's just different people. You won't know who they are. It'll be anonymous. So you'll see this person sent two Bitcoins to this person. You can just watch the network. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Ripple ledger or the Stellar ledger, again, these are global public ledgers. If you look at those, you won't see primarily the Ripple asset, which is called XRP, or the Stellar asset, which is called Lumen, what you will see instead are all sorts of other assets that are riding on top of those ledgers. Mm -hmm. So the core idea in a technology like Ripple is to allow you to anchor in or tether in other assets, but use it as a open rail. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I get excited about that sort of technology because it starts to now allow us to think about moving assets that are meaningful to us, dollars, loyalty points, securities, bonds, but benefit from very low cost, very uh, transparent, uh, very efficient uh, uh, movement. movement. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I follow you here because I'm, I'm actually on blockchain.info right now and I see some of the transactions you're talking about it's, and it's all BTC, BTC, it's all Bitcoin. And the other things you're describing, you're seeing that those are more, those are more open. Like Ripple is the equivalent of Bitcoin in the sense that it's a cryptocurrency, but it's also providing the rails that others can trade on. I, I'm, yep. Yeah. I, mean, I think we're going to have to break this down a little more. Yeah. So I'll, I'll explain a little bit more. So let's start with Bitcoin, then we'll come back to Ripple. Part of what's so difficult in terms of understanding Bitcoin is that Bitcoin actually serves three purposes on the Bitcoin network. There's a whole bunch getting conflated. It's very elegant, but it's helpful to unpack it. So what are those three purposes? The first is that it provides the economic incentive or reward mm -hmm. for the so-called miners, which are processing the transactions, to do that processing work. They don't do it out of the goodness they of their heart. They're getting paid. And so they're getting paid in Bitcoin. That's its first use. It goes up in use. value. That's right. Its second mm -hmm. use is as the fees that you pay to send a Bitcoin transaction. So it actually costs a little bit of Bitcoin to send Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So it's the fee or like the postage stamp that you would put on the envelope. And the third thing is it's the thing you're sending on the network, mm -hmm. right? It's like mm -hmm. the store of value that you're sending and then you can translate to some whatever your local value is. So it's all three of those in one. In other blockchain models, those three get separated out and Ripple is a good example. In the case of Ripple or Stellar, their respective tokens are only one of those three things, really. And it's the fee. That's the 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 uh, if you to send a transaction on Stellar or on Ripple, you have to use their respective token as the postage stamp. But what's in the envelope isn't also that. It can be but usually it's not. What it's designed for is to put any arbitrary asset in that envelope and, and therefore benefit from the same 
and transfer uh, transfer model as Bitcoin, but allow you to send other things. Right, not just Bitcoin. Not just Bitcoin. I think that's really important because I think until we see a convergence of these open rails with assets that actually touch businesses and consumers. Meaning you've got to be able to spend it on something. That's right. So you right. don't buy something in Bitcoin, you don't buy anything in it's got to, you've got to be able to trade a Bitcoin for a horse or whatever the heck you want to buy. That's right. And Bitcoin's not a particularly good medium of exchange. Right. Um, it's, it's very volatile, uh, which isn't its fault. It's just mm-hmm. the reality of the way the market works. Mm-hmm. Um, but therefore, it's not uh, desirable for merchants. No, why would you take it or give it? That's right. Who want dollars to pay their bills right. that are due in dollars. Right. Um, and yes, you can exchange it, but with the volatility being where it is and the fees for exchanging, it all kind of washes out where it's not that superior to just taking a traditional method of payment. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we can have the benefits of a Bitcoin-like network with mm-hmm. any type of asset, yeah. now I think you're going to start to see innovation that will actually touch people to beyond... To actually use it. People that's right. People it. actually Why the volatility in price? What are they people buying precisely? So all the price movement in cryptocurrencies is demand-driven. And what I mean by that is when you say, like, well, why is the price of a barrel of oil X or Y? You have right. a supply side Well, people are hoarding it. That's side. what's happening, right? They're grabbing it and holding it. Holder or whatever. HODL. Whatever. Yeah, H-O-D-L. <laughs> I don't care for their stupid right. acronyms, but go ahead. That's because you're not part of the counterculture. Oh, but they're ridiculous. They're so... They're so they're, <laughs> they want you to say that, though. You know That's what? the thing. No, you, they don't. They I, do. Yeah. They do. Whatever. Th- this is... <laughs> Wait, I have a question for you. Many of them are 12. It's very possible the inventor of Bitcoin was only 12 or 13. All right, whatever. All right, the the quick question I have about HODL is, does it it actually, I've heard two different explanations for it, it might be both. Does it stand for hold on for dear life or is it supposed to indicate that when you type really quickly that you might key in the wrong letter? It's the latter. So hold on for dear life was was quite brilliant because when the thing is going down, everyone's saying, but it was originally some kid, probably 12, in an internet forum yeah. during an early panic, you know, years ago, hold. saying hold, you know, and 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 just typos, <laughs> um, and it, he became famous. Do you know or I she. have Bitcoin? Do you know that? Sorry, I have Bitcoin. You do. I bought it when I wrote a story about it in 2013. I don't know where I put it. No, that's the problem. Right. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that the, I is know the where problem. I put my gold bars. Anyone, it's like the Jerry Seinfeld. Bars. Anyone can take a reservation. It's the holding part. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's yes, there's the hodlers, but I think there's something beyond that, which is because the supply of cryptocurrencies is fixed, so yeah. there, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins in yeah. ever minted, mm-hmm. You can it's, it's actually a very simple way to think about price. It's all demand-driven. More people want it, the price goes up, fewer yeah. people. So what drives people to want Bitcoin and what drives people away You're from it? You're scared of Armageddon I, for some reason. I actually think, I think there's, yes, I think the hodlers are sort of long-term opportunistic, right. thinking about a better future, a future that they believe in. But I think in the short term, it's actually two different types of fear. Mm-hmm. There's the fear of missing out, yep. which of is, course. right, which is like the every cocktail party argument. you go to, you hear right. like about a cryptocurrency, you ignore it. Then the next year, you're like, oh, man, if I had just invested when I heard it at that cocktail party, I'd be on a 100x return. Mm-hmm. So that FOMO, which was really pronounced right. last year. Yeah. And then there's a different type of fear, which is FUD, right. or the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that this thing is all <laughs> a giant Ponzi tulip. or there's going to be regulatory or tulip. tulip. So it's actually the, it's, it's this sort of tug of war between FUD and FOMO and, and that drives the price in the short run. There's also the very run. real feeling that this, this world, everything is—I just interviewed uh, Chamath 
polyhapatia, that yeah. everything is co-related, money, everything gets affected, this doesn't get affected. And you can hold, it's an asset that you have, like gold bars. Gold, that's what a person said, it gold, is, but not as it dumb. Is, uh, it's, you got to move gold around, it's heavy. It's uncorrelated, guard, for sure. You know? it's, it's uncorrelated. And I think gold, you brought it up earlier too, gold's a great example because when somebody asked me like, what's the right price for Bitcoin? I just asked like, well, what's the right price for gold? Right. And unlike a company where you can do what's called like a discounted cash flow analysis, look at the potential profit streams and do some math on it and get to a reasonable number for what a company should be worth or building what it should be right. worth based on rents. Gold and Bitcoin, they're not really like that. No, they're um, hoarding mechanisms. That's what it, that's what it, it's a hoarding mechanism I of think, value. I think the original, the original- Unless you want to wear it. Bitcoin paper. Yeah was much more focused on Bitcoin being a means of exchange. Right. In reality, mm-hmm. what's happened is it's become more of a digital gold right. idea. And a lot, of, holding. A, lo- yeah. way, a lot of, by the way, that's not a criticism. A lot of startups start doing one thing, become something right. else. So, All right, we're going to answer a couple more questions right. very quickly, very fast, because we want to get to the questions. Yeah. We have so many. ICO, explain what an ICO, just very quick. because So it stands for Initial Coin Offering. Got it. And it's the idea that a team that wants to create a new cryptocurrency or a new token. Caracoin. Like Caracoin, which I <laughs> uh, I think you should do. I think right. you have a lot of followers hodling Caracoin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea of an ICO <laughs> is you'll sell some of the coins in advance as a way to raise money to then build this project and bring it to market. So it's right. sort of a funding mechanism that combines uh, a Kickstarter-like mentality with uh, a the token itself, and it's come under a lot of scrutiny recently as well from the SEC and Ponzi scheme. How does it turn into actual functioning currency? So the promise of an ICO is that uh, you give us some money now, we'll invest that in building the technology, and then when the network turns on, your stake will be available on that network. And that's, by the way, exactly how Ethereum came about. So Ethereum... It's exactly how stocks work. It's about anything of value works, right? Uh, is it how stocks work? Is well, it's equity. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, if you think about a startup, exactly right, a private, a private company. But I think Ethereum, Bitcoin didn't do this. Right. Uh, uh, didn't, conceptually, is the first one, couldn't have. But Ethereum did. And because Ethereum itself can facilitate by its by nature of it being a platform uh, further tokens to be created on top of it you saw between you know 2016 and 17 a lot of these tokens being created and minted on top of ethereum uh, and I'll, I'll say more if you want but we'll, no I think we'll go these are, these are not these are not backed by traditional exchanges so it's not like it's you know you're you're raising it's not on the Nasdaq or anything like that you're, Correct. you're just saying I want to raise 150 million dollars or whatever it is in exchange for when I get my cryptocurrency launched I will give you some of that coin that's right and then when they do launch and sometimes even before uh, they're listed on cryptocurrency exchanges like Kraken Poloniex. Um, et cetera. I see. Can you build entire societies on cryptocurrency and blockchain technology? I mean, we used to trade wheat for horses. You know, we moved around, and the assets were worth what they were worth. Yeah. And not a very organ, and that's why we had currency. Right. And I will say there are people in the blockchain community who do see this as a foundational platform for a whole new way to think about society and civilization. Uh, as a startup entrepreneur, just trying to like make money and build a business and mm-hmm. hire people, I don't have a lot of time to f- 
be a philosopher. Yeah. But there are definitely the philosophers in the community who uh, talk about a future where everything is decentralized and enforced on networks, etc. They thought that about the internet, didn't they? How old are you? You weren't around for that. I'm period. 36. No, you weren't around. They were like that. Uh, uh, same thing. Oh, they were okay. going to build communities that the Internet, gatekeepers this is why were not going to be I able to control. I we're in the, count, the we're in the counterculture phase of the emergence right. of this technology. Right yeah, now. the whole Earth catalog, that whole gang. Yeah, you know. And by the way, this is what attracted me, and I think a lot of people. So I was in middle school and high school during the 90s, mm-hmm. um, and felt kind of in the atmosphere the change the world. Oh, no, that's when the money grubbers got there. You know, before that, it was... Well, my dad was running a BBS out of our oh, house. Oh, yes, of course. In, in the early 90s, so just before it got yeah. a little bit 94. kookier. So, yeah, this was... The I, Netscape IPO ni- 92, the 93, 94, and I just loved it. I used to go to 2,600 meetups. First, I got my driver's license. The first thing I did is I drove to uh, the uh, train station in L.A. and went to 2,600 meetups. So I loved that era of the Internet, and... I think I was very attracted to Bitcoin because it felt like that again. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think we're in that phase again, and it's fun. But, again, I think I don't know or have a strong point of view on whether there it will, will radically change society. There will be a Google. There will be a Yeah, but they'll, look, they'll just look so fundamentally different from what Google and Amazon look like that I think people will probably continue to be wrong about what is the next Amazon right, or Google. Right, right. No, 100%. Yeah. So we have tons and tons of questions. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to get to those because we have so many. I love all these questions. Um, we're here with Chain CEO Adam Ludwin talking about blockchain, ICOs, and cryptocurrencies. And now that's initial coin offerings and cryptocurrencies. And we're now going to answer some questions from our readers and listeners. Lauren, will you read the first question? Sure. The first question is an email from Miriam Mujica. I hope I'm saying that correctly. The email says, I'm definitely embarrassed to be asking this since I work in tech, but in a non-technical role, so cut me some slack. Can you explain in layman's terms how Bitcoins actually work and how, if at all, they can be used to buy anything? All right, Adam. They can be used to buy things. Um, When I'm demoing Bitcoin, I usually go to the Wikipedia website and go to Donate Mm -hmm. and then click Donate with Bitcoin and then scan the donation QR code with my Bitcoin wallet, like a Coinbase wallet. And that's usually a pretty good like uh, example and experience. If you haven't, if you've never used Bitcoin to buy anything, I think donating to Wikipedia is a good way to. So small, uh, you don't give a out. full Bitcoin to them, do you? Not a full Bitcoin. And this is the other thing to know about Bitcoin: you don't have to deal in whole units. Each Bitcoin is divisible 100 million times, so you can send up to a 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, which happens to. Uh, that that scent is called a Satoshi, which is the right. pseudonym of the founder or founders. You know, every five, seven days I get an email from someone who says there's Satoshi. Do you really? One of them will be. People are claiming to you that oh, Satoshi. One of them is. I know one of them is Interesting. Satoshi. I love you. I think Kara is actually Satoshi. I am Satoshi. <laughs> I am. I do. I get them all the time. So you you can buy, you, presumably that's the goal eventually is, it, is a currency. You want to buy something with it. it yeah, and I, I don't know if... Bitcoin has missed its window to become that. I think it's very possible it has. So what would be the coin? That I think... Amazon um, coin. I don't know that it's Amazon coin. Um, I, I think Bitcoin as a settlement instrument, as a digital gold, that's become pretty clear. Um, but I think mediums of exchange uh, that are existing mediums of exchange, like central bank money or merchant-issued money, 
Yeah. Um, it's probably, so credit cards and cash seem to work pretty yeah. well right now. Yeah. I think cash. I would love to be a fly on the wall, by the way, in the meeting room when when Amazon meets with the government after it develops its decentralized cryptocurrency and starts <laughs> having people buy things with it. Like, yeah. That would be very fun. Well, Amazon Prime Reload, which is a prepaid cash program, is basically Amazon's virtual currency. Yeah, that's true. Ah. But there's currency involved. I think all, I think. Currency, currency, paper currency is insane. It's dumber than gold. Pa- paper currency is dumber than is gold. dumb because I have some paper currency here, and I'm just going to take it out. I never use it anymore. Um, I take casual carpool in the morning, so yeah. I always have dollars. But um, uh, the problem with paper, the problem with currency in general, is it's no longer free to use it. So the promise that the government is going to give you a currency that's free to transact in society—that's a broken promise. Right. It actually, costs money to use money, not just in terms of you bank fees, just around. basic basic things like. Uh, yeah, every single transaction costs the counterparties collectively two or three percent in, yeah. merchant, in, in, in fees. So uh, we don't have free money anymore. And I think um, I think it never was free money. It always cost something. Maybe that's true. It always yeah. cost something. Yeah, you don't even. You're just not adding it up. You're just not adding. Just moving that stuff around. You know, drug dealers like it. Um, anyway, next is the email from Frank Reed. They like Bitcoin better, I'm guessing. As I understand it, there is no central depository or control of Bitcoin other than trying to hide money. That's not true. Why would someone want to invest in it? It seems like it's the latest pyramid scheme. These pop up from time to time. All right, that's the tulip yeah. thing or yep. the, whatever, you know, it, the it, porn center. It uh, empirically has been the best performing asset class uh, since the financial crisis, by a long, a long way, and and people have been saying it's a Ponzi scheme but or a people tulip believe thing, in it. right? And and every few years it does have a big crash and correction. Just um, did it, it is right now, but it usually crashes to you know ninety percent higher than the previous low. So I think a Ponzi scheme is is the way I think about a Ponzi pyramid scheme. or a pyramid. A pyramid scheme is is like some. Entity that is intending to scam people by showing false returns that are based on yeah, new yeah, money yeah. coming in. Yeah, that's um, true. That it's not a it's not that it's not a fraud. It's a open source technology you can audit and and, and see for yourself. Whether it's a market mania, right? Is it worth is what it's worth because it's worth it? And but again, I come Why back. Why are to, those dumb sneakers, Frank? I bet you have a pair of dumb sneakers that are not worth. A thousand dollars. It's also like the art market, yeah. like gold. It's it's. There's actually no empirical answer to what is the right price, right? Um, and so, and it's just too early. You know, most nascent technologies, uh, they don't get noticed in the first few years, mm-hmm. or nor do they have a massive capital markets phenomenon around them. This one does because the thing itself is money. Right, but it has to convert to something. I think that's the point. It, it does. But by the way, Frank, it's not central depository because it's decentralized right. by, by its no very design. There is no central depository, exactly. All right, right, next one, Lauren. Next one is from Ravish Kumar. Is the bubble burst and can anyone just spin up their own cryptocurrency? That's a good question. I heard that many companies are working on their own, though I don't know how true that is. Hashtag too embarrassed. Um, so the huge market mania in 2007 was you know, depending on how you count, probably the fourth or fifth big, uh, excuse me, big bull market in Bitcoin's history. Uh, those are usually followed by the market cooling off for a period. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone can. You, what, what's the name of the? Caracoin. 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 It's going to be. 
Uh, it's coming soon. So Caracoin, to a pyramid scheme near we you. We could create Caracoin by the end of this interview by taking the Bitcoin source code off of GitHub, forking okay. it, renaming it Caracoin, and maybe changing one or two parameters and uh, giving it to the world. Whether Caracoin would have value, but that's a good thought. Buy it. What price would I put on it? It would be worth whatever the market says it's worth. It would just be a demand well, it has driven. To start off at some price. Well, the first buyer is going to come along, and maybe you can set the first. If you're the only one that has it at the beginning, right. but typically, what would happen if it's mined would mm-hmm. be that people would run mining software and start generating them, and they wouldn't be buying it. They'd actually be converting energy into your coin, right? And then they would take those two in exchange. But how do I stop it from more coins being created? Because that's inflation, right? You you would you know the way Bitcoin works is the number of coins that will ever be created is hard-coded into the software. So I could make a number. Oh, you so could you make, can you decide. You could pick a number, yeah. Yeah. What are the parameters? When you said that you'd, you would take the source code, but you'd change a couple parameters, what does that mean? For example, you could say instead of 21 million Kara coins, there's going to be 100 billion Kara coins. Uh, you could say instead of the block time, meaning the amount of time between conf- uh, new blocks being added to the network. Instead of that being 10 minutes, we want to make it five minutes. And I, I'm uh, r- basically implicitly more. referring to what actually has happened. So Litecoin, if you ever heard of Litecoin, yes, effectively took the Bitcoin code base, tweaked not probably five lines of code. Um, Charlie, if you're out there, feel free to tweet at me and correct me, but very small amount of tweaks, renamed it Litecoin and created it. And it's, it's one of the interesting kind of emergent behaviors in the space that you have this rich ecosystem of competing projects vying for attention and, you know, the ones that will survive. Uh, There's going to uh, be one carat coin and people are just, just going to trade it back. Well, that's kind of like the Wu-Tang Clan album. Yeah. It's just the one. Yeah. Like that. One. I, I think there's something to that. It moves from person to person. Yeah. And they pay more and more for it. You see what I'm saying? I like it. You can it's launch genius. it at Recode. All right, yeah, that's true. Why don't you, call it, why don't you do a do you know crypto what? conference? You may launch a currency at Recode. You you're should gonna, call it... You're going to launch a currency at Recoin. Recoin. <gasps> oh. <laughs> you know what? Right now, you're coming to Code. Yes. And you're, you were going to start a currency, you and me. Recoin. All right, Recoin. Got Key, it. Keynote. Together. <laughs> I'm with we're you. We're the founders. You're, you're Satoshi, and I'm Satoshi, too. Or something. <laughs> we'll have a name like that. All right, so what's the deal with Coinbase? Yeah, what is that? I, I think I have, a, I have an account there. I don't know yeah. how that happens. So Coinbase is, uh, is an application <laughs> yeah. that will store your Bitcoins for you. And, and will, protect them from the people who want to kill you to get Yeah, so the, the, one of the challenges around Bitcoin is very much like paper currency you've got, or gold. You've got to figure out a way to hold it securely. Right. So you can hold Bitcoin yourself with what are called private keys, and you've got to keep those private keys in a secure software environment. And if you've ever lost a password or forgotten a password, uh, it's about five times harder than, than managing passwords. Mm-hmm. So most people have decided uh, they don't want to manage their own Bitcoin. They want to use a service like Coinbase, mm-hmm. which is centralized, and allow that centralized application to do it for them, make it easier to both manage and also to buy and sell. So uh, that's Coinbase, and they're the most successful and presumably company protect in the you. Space. But the issues are: some people break up their um, passwords. Sometimes they give it to someone else. They put it in a. They don't want to put it in a safety deposit box because someone could take their kid and say, "Go get it from the safety deposit right. box." People right. have a lot of it. They that's don't right. like to talk about it, although. 
these people have gold too. I don't know why they're not nervous about holding the gold where it is. Um, anything can be taken essentially, and this is so people split up the everything. That's does right. Coinboy stop that, or is there? Because uh, the stopped? bank, it's really hard to take your money out of the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people, yeah, Coinbase, they have a product called Vault, yeah. uh, which, for example, has certain limits. Like you can't take all your money out of the vault at once. Right. There are additional policies, and and there are good solutions for uh, folks that are trying to manage a lot of cryptocurrency. That's the business protecting it. Yeah, custody is is a big cryptocurrency. Custody is is. Um, one of the business models that works in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, exchange is another good business model. Mm-hmm. Uh, being your own Satoshi, <laughs> if it works, is a good business model. Meaning? Meaning having a coin that yeah. has a large market cap. Right, right. But at the same time, people are worried about holding. And just so yeah. you're aware, if you hold it, don't tell people you hold it. Don't, you know, there, there's going to be people kidnapping people, things yeah. like that. And yeah. just like they would with gold. Totally. <laughs> or a pile of cash. But in, in the case of, Gold, or not gold, but a pile of cash. If you start taking out of the bank, the bank alerts authorities. There, there's a good reason for gatekeepers in some cases. That's, right. yeah. that's, why, I, that's why I have zero crypto. Right. The, oh, interesting. The um, well, you're not. You're just. You're just selling the picks and shovels, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm. I'm joking. But uh, oh, you have zero. Yes, yes, you just lied to me. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, that means you have <laughs> 10 billion cryptos. All right. Uh, what are how are ICOs and IPOs differently? Why can't ICOs be launched through stock exchanges? Fundamentally, an IPO is an initial offering of shares. Mm -hmm. Shares are the ownership model for (coughs) companies. Mm -hmm. ICOs are an initial offering of coins or tokens, Mm -hmm. and coins are the uh, enable economic model for decentralized software. So, just you know, very different ideas there. what unites them, and I think what has drawn the interest of, say, the SEC, is that even though they're fundamentally different things that they're supporting and different mechanisms, they both are fundraising mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, can you imagine a NASDAQ or a New York Stock Exchange facilitating ICOs? Sure. It would be a mm-hmm. totally new business for them. Yeah. Um, but you could. You could. All right. Long question. Lauren, why don't you read the whole thing and try to do yeah, it Yeah, let's, um, let's actually, Bradley Calgovas, thank you for sending in your questions. I'm going to ask the last one in your bunch because I think this is the most interesting and we've answered a couple of the others. Uh, is the price of, of Bitcoin fundamentally linked to the cost of electricity to mine Bitcoin? So example, as time goes on, there could be more processing power and more electricity required to power the processor to mine Bitcoin so the cost to extract could go up over time. Yeah. So the price of Bitcoin uh, is not really tied to the cost of electricity, but the profitability of mining is tied to the cost of electricity, meaning the price of Bitcoin is X, the amount you have to spend on electricity to get Bitcoin, said Bitcoin is why if you're in a country with a uh, expensive electricity, it's going to be unprofitable for you to mine. to mine. So, and that's because of the sort of perfect competitive nature of the Bitcoin network. And so that's why you see most of the mining uh, in low uh, energy uh, cost countries like China, um, potentially even where governments may be even subsidizing Because they're going to make some, you make, what, 12? What was the, you get point something? 
Bitcoin. It's either 25 or 12.5 right now. Um, it, it, but then at some point, there won't be any more. That's right. Right. And that's probably another too embarrassed to ask question, which is if Adam no is saying miners. there's only 21 million and they're still being mined, what happens when they're all mined? What, you know, and by the way, you what need miners it? to yeah. keep the network decentralized and operating. So what's going to happen? And the answer is, in addition to the what's called the re- block reward, which is this newly minted Bitcoin that is generated and given to the miner uh, for you know investing the energy in the network, miners also are the ones who receive the fees that I referred to earlier around. from moving yeah. around. So they actually get both fees and block reward. So the theory, at least, is that once the block rewards are all gone, the miners will still have an incentive because of the fees. Right, so they'll become bankers. That's what they'll, that's all. They're bankers, right? <laughs> They're the little green guys. I guess so. That's what they are. Yeah. All right, so let's do um, from the Canadian. Which one's from the Canadian? Here we go. Uh, Shammy Humphreys, uh, which is, uh, I bought Bitcoin from Coinbase, not realizing that I could add or buy more of it, but not transfer or sell because I'm Canadian. After many attempts, what? Are Canadians not barred? Isn't tariffs enough? After many attempts to talk to them, the only response I got was, sorry, not this time in Canada, Australia. We're working on it. Do you have an idea? Holder, what what might change and how I can extricate myself from this? <laughs> this is funny because Coinbase is like is like the fail whale of I know, they're like our true. era. Yeah, where like they're so <laughs> successful and they're yeah. doing great stuff. And yeah, I'm a I met big the fan. CEO yesterday. But, Brian, okay. Great. Yeah. But their customer support has been this perennial challenge. And it's funny that Fail people are away. so desperate. They're writing into the Recode podcast to ask <laughs> the CEO of an unrelated company if he might be able to put in a good word or help out with their customer problem. Do you know what? We have some juice here. Hey, that's not desperate. I was just going to say, we get things done here. <laughs> I do things all the time. Maybe no we idea. can just say, if Brian is listening, help out. Who's it? <laughs> uh, Shammy Humphreys. Shammy Humphreys. All right, next one. So too bad, Shammy. You're going to have to wait until Coinbase or someone else gets to it, essentially. But they'll get to it eventually. But we still think they need nice. to be global. Coinbase has to be global, for goodness sake. Right? Yeah, Come on. absolutely. Come on, Coinbase. Yeah. What the hell? Bitcoin's global. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, next one, let's get through these. We've got a couple more. We've got a lot more. Next one is from Dorian Bencoil, who um, asks an inside baseball question for us. What applications are most likely to take hold in the media sphere? There has, for example, been talk of both authentication tokens for identifying authors or subscribers and then using blockchain technologies to help with fraud. So yeah, are we going to be are we going to be running our new sites on on blockchain? Recoin. Recoin. Uh, I'm like looking at this Recode sticker and I could just see it mm-hmm. perfectly there. So uh, media. All right. I don't know much about media. You're an expert, so I'm mm-hmm. sorry to even broach this topic with any sense of an idea here. But there's this thing called the ad model. Mm-hmm. And a lot of we people don't it. like the ad model. We don't. And a lot of you know, thinkers in the space, the intersection of cryptocurrency and media are asking, is there a way to bridge these worlds so that we can uh, we can create a new economic model to incent the creation of content, the, the consumption of content, the curation of content, and what might that look like? And I won't say any more than that other than there are a lot of people thinking about that, exploring yeah. that space. And I'm hopeful something emerges. But it's emerges. been done, payments, little tip jars. Yeah, the, and the, first, the first thought is always the micropayments, tip right. jar thing. Yeah. But I don't think, I think we know that doesn't work. No. And I don't think crypto solves that. I think no. there are more fundamental questions about like, um, 
can you curate and create content with new incentives? Um, there's a project called Steemit. Hmm. It's a Steam. It's another. Uh, it's like a cryptocurrency Reddit. The problem is they went too far, and the whole thing is just people gaming it to make money off of content, and so it's actually a bad experience for the user when they're reading the website. Uh, but the more experience in the space, I think, the better. Yes. It'd be exciting yeah. to replace the ad model on, on it the It would be. All right, next one, HAPS. My understand blockchains, it's secure as long as no single entity controls more than half the processing power. That's the case. What ideas do you have to combat potential fraud? So uh, the listener is referring to something called the 51% attack, which mm-hmm. I will allow others to Google if they're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, yes, it means that uh, a blockchain network, specifically in this case, I think Bitcoin, is susceptible to being taken over is too strong of a word, but um, it, loses, it loses some of its censorship-resistant properties if more than 51% of the network is controlled by either one or a set of colluding entities. That would be China. In practice, that's right, actually. I think more, I think more than half of the mining is probably in China right now. Yeah, that would be China. Yeah. Well, but how do you combat it? Well, it's interesting because I've always wondered why, and maybe this is already happening, but since I've begun in the space, I've always wondered why U.S. government folks, depending on the department, Mm -hmm. haven't thought about creating just like a subsidized Bitcoin mining uh, project at at, at real scale, just in case Bitcoin becomes a very important part of Mm -hmm. the world's financial system. It just strikes me that China has been a little bit more forward thinking and taking that risk. You have a science advisor at the Hmm. White House. It's not happening, Adam. But this My was God. Obama. Like this was. Uh, uh, Obama but it was too early. To Obama it was, forgot was too, to notice. Obama forgot to notice. The Russians were attacking us on Facebook. I'm not. None yeah, of them. Yeah. I, none I, of them. I love Obama. I'm not blaming him. That, but uh, oh, oh, I am. You're I'm, blaming him for not yeah. getting into Bitcoin. No, not Bitcoin. I think the Russian stuff. I think. Oh, the Russia stuff. All the government failed us on that. Yeah. You know, going uh, way back. All the government failed us. They yeah. didn't know. I, okay, I'm going to give them. So you eight. should put the government on the block. You should join these people in Costa Rica that want to do like. No, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, yeah. Yeah, they're crazy. No. Yeah. Um, a lot of. Uh, go ahead. Next one, Lauren. Sure. Next one is from Bridget McGraw. A lot of resources were dumped into digital badges, also known as micro credentials, in education, but the concept didn't take off. How would we create a useful blockchain credentialing system for the broken education institution? I feel like you just do like for the insert broken institution here, right? Yeah. Specifically education. Yep. Yep. It is interesting that for whatever reason, people maybe because it's so poorly understood, they they take blockchain as and make it its savior for like everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think tactically, I think what the questioner is getting at is, can you issue some sort of token that represents a qualification and put that on a global ledger such that it's not run by a company that might go away, but for the foreseeable future, I can always reference that. Um, This gets into other questions about what about using blockchains for identity? What about using it for things like uh, credit reports and credit scores? Um, That whole area is fraught with challenges and I don't have any good answers, but I'm sure someone smarter yeah. does. So I, I like the question. I don't I don't know that I have a good answer to it. Do you, do you know if you put some blockchain on your skin, it 
refreshes it beautifully. I've heard that. It's like everything. I think that's one of the promises of yeah. Recoin. Yeah, if I remember exactly. reading Recoin's their white Recoin's going to solve that. Don't forget your put that in your white paper. No, you're going to make I, you've just now been dragooned into the Carol Swisher army. If you put me in this army. red chair on yes. your keynote stage, yes. I will launch Recoin I, with you. Okay. It is happening. Let's Peter get Kafka, get ready. Is Bitcoin's Peter doesn't get any. Um, is Bitcoin's future a long one or do you think it'll be eclipsed by another currency eventually? I think there will be an ecosystem of several cryptocurrencies. I don't think it's steady state to have hundreds or thousands, nor do I think it's, like it's trains, steady state to have one right? or two. In the same way we have email, we have messaging services, we have web, we have Skype. Like I think yep. you design a network with particular qualities and parameters and you optimize around those. And if you look at the financial system today, like equities and loyalty points are very different, very different systems, very different players. So I think there will be several. Um, uh, but you know, after any like Cambrian explosion, you typically mm-hmm. get Prey before predators, right? Yep. So you just get everything blooming, mm-hmm. and then yep. something comes along and starts eating everything. So we're kind of in that like everything has bloomed and it's ripe for some predators. But I think there will be a steady state. The banks of, of are several. freaking out. Also, the government. They'll yeah. all try to insert themselves in some horrible lobbying fashion of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. I think that's right. They will. They'll have to. It's happening now. If someone's going to yeah. eat their lunch, it might as well be them. Um, that's what I always say about everything. Um, so uh, next one, Lauren, go ahead. Pick one. Yeah, we had several questions from our regular question asker, Liz Weeks, but unfortunately we don't have time for all of them. Here's one of them. Uh, what happens if blockchain executes something and then is then successfully challenged in court or an administrative process? For okay. example, what if challenges a smart contract after it executes is it irrevocable? If so, should we consider a higher level of capacity to execute a smart contract than a traditional Yeah, con- these are contracts. That's what these are. At the end of the day, a transaction on a blockchain is a irreversible <laughs> uh, bit of code that's been executed and forms an immutable history. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think uh, uh, it's pretty good evidence in court if you have the appropriate expert witnesses to explain it to the judge. So I think you'll see probably more and more cases where uh, a smart contract executed on a blockchain, if properly understood, will be about the best evidence you can have that you entered into a counterparty relationship and the thing is executed. Now the question becomes, what happens if there's like a bug in the software Mm -hmm. and the spirit of the agreement is executed differently because it was written improperly and as everyone knows, you know, all software has bugs. Those are issues which I think well, will be litigated. What happens if water pours on paper contracts? Like you can do that to the That's interesting. everything. Yeah. Everything has comparability. Mm. Um, the next question was about uh, uh, treaties too. The same thing is how can you make sure people don't go rogue on treaties? Yeah, people can break them. Yeah, I think in general, mm-hmm. folks are viewing blockchains as a solution to enforcing contracts, and um, it's helpful as. In general, just to appreciate that it can a blockchain can only enforce things that are native to the blockchain. So, if you and I, Kara, enter into a contract that says I will give you this bottle of Gatorade, mm-hmm. um, the blockchain can't say whether I did or not. Right. But if there's a token on an Ethereum network that represents that Gatorade, and I give that to you on the network, the contract can enforce that you have the Gatorade token. But again, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that I've actually given you the Gatorade that it represents. So, anytime. Uh, 
parts of reality are, live outside of a blockchain. The blockchain right. can't actually help you. Right. And that often gets... So if a house gets transferred or... Exactly. That's a great example. A house or there's this IBM commercial I saw, I think, during the Super Bowl where it said, this is a diamond. It's on the blockchain. Thanks to IBM. And I'm going, okay, like the diamond is like sitting in a room somewhere. It's not mm-hmm. on the blockchain. And so anyway, th- these, these, mm-hmm. co- these connections in, between the real world and, and the digital, um, there's a, we have a long way to go before this tool can really help yeah, us. You can't you know, make I'm, people from being cheaters. You can't stop them. Hmm. Yeah. You cannot stop humanity from behaving badly. I think that's a deep and for, important for point. For things, for things. Yes, but on Recoin, <laughs> well, like you will all be tools, able to. All tools can be used for good and can be used for bad. Okay, last question. Uh, and I think I'll ask you for both of you, but from Walt Mossberg, he's a retiree. I've he's trying to figure out where to put his money, yep. his pile. And believe me, there's a lot of piles of money over there. Um, but it's all in gold under his bed, of course, where Walt likes to keep it. He sleeps on it. Um, would you, Lauren Good, accept your salary or your 401k match in Bitcoin? Same thing with you, Adam. Lauren? Uh, only if it was Mosscoin. Uh, no, I, I salary, no. 401k match, uh, maybe. Maybe I'd be willing to experiment with that, but I'd have to do a little more research into it. I mean, it's amazing, actually, when you think about all the people, and myself included to a point, who will put things in um, you know, mutual funds or um, say, sure, like I'll do, a, my company will match my 401k and it'll right. be distributed and, and, and um, diversified in some way. But like, if you don't actually really look at where it's being held or what the movement is like, you could actually have no idea what's you going on. You never see your money more. savings. When everyone's yeah. talking about all these, like, I don't want my money to be virtualized, it is virtual. You never see your pile of money. Right. Like yeah. you don't have a safe like in Harry Potter where it's all sitting there making nothing, doing nothing. It's true. You want me to answer? Yes. Uh, yes. No, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to take my salary in Bitcoin because I think of cryptocurrencies and crypto assets as part of a portfolio of assets, and yes. I want to think about them separately in terms of what my allocation is going to be and which ones I want, and if I want to rebalance and go long certain ones or shorter certain ones. So I think of my paycheck as the thing I want to be the most stable, kind of flatline, boring thing possible that I can then go and say, all right, I'll throw it away on this high-risk investment and see what happens, or I'll spend it on a latte. Yeah. So, so what, what uh, portion should people... Um, Some are saying you know, 2%. I, I, I usually say if you're early in your kind of investment horizon, uh, uh, I, I tell friends 5% of your portfolio in crypto seems, actually seems responsible. And which ones? All of them? Or just? Um, I would, no, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to your point earlier, there are a lot of hucksters and people that are just taking right. advantage. But there's an emerging class of five or six that really are, and this is kind of goofy to say, but kind of the blue chip ones in the space, and there will mm-hmm. be more. Right. You do still have to be prepared to lose it all. Right. It's just, it's that stark it's like still. Real estate in Florida <laughs> could just be a swamp. Um, Lauren, would you accept your salary in avocado toast? <laughs> you know, with how well it's doing in San Francisco right now, absolutely. Isn't that the idea of a startup? That stuff is worth like $12. It is. It's ridiculous. It keeps going up in price. That's because they add like uh, fukake or whatever that's, that Japanese spice <laughs> is to it. And then that's another $3. Anyway, this has been riveting. I'm going to talk to you about Recoin great. when we stop. Um, this has been another great episode. Adam, we're going to have you back to give us updates because this is really helpful. This is something people are really interested in. They should be. It's not... 
total silliness. The the redo of our currency system has to, is the one thing that has resisted the internet and digital things. And so, uh, in some ways, we've stayed in the in the dark ages in finance for sure. And it's going to change. Same thing with healthcare and some other areas. Um, so thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Adam. If you all enjoyed this week's episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show and you can leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. When you subscribe, you'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can also subscribe on Spotify, Google Play Music, really wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can just go to the website, go to recode.net, soon to be recoin.net slash podcasts and find all of our stuff there. And while you're there, you should check out our other shows, Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. The Verge also has an excellent podcast called The Vergecast. It's hosted by Nilay Patel. Ashley Carmen and Caitlin Tiffany host Why'd You Push That Button? And I should mention, we should mention that all of these are going to be live at South by Southwest in the next week or so. Yes. So stay tuned for those too. Indeed. Do you know who I'm interviewing there? Many people. You're interviewing, are you with Christiana Manapur? Yes, that's one. That's one person, right? Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I call her Christy. Um, uh, she has a book on sex and love across the world, which I'm very excited to talk about. I'm going to talk to a relationship as, uh, expert, Esther Perel. I'm going to find out her books on infidelity, which should be this is a very sexy South by Southwest. I'm interviewing uh, Valerie Jarrett, who has joined some internet boards lately, and she obviously worked for President Obama. Uh, top advisor, and I'm interviewing Maria Shriver, uh, the former uh, TV news broadcaster and also First Lady of California, and Jose Andres about food and technology and the efforts that he's putting forth in Puerto Rico, Crypto Rico, speaking of which. Um, so it should be fun. There's a lot of people. I hope you have lots. I hope you have all your cryptocurrencies ready because you're not going to be able to get a single taco from a taco truck without paying with Bitcoin. They're free there for, for the internet royalty like myself and, and everybody else. Anyway, don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag too embarrassed or email them to too embarrassed at Recode.net. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sells all those ads so you can listen to the show for free. That's right, for free. No, no Bitcoin needed. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask, so tune in then. 